So tonight we get to hear um, in our continuing series in the book of Acts, which has been really powerful and timely. And, Hol- and Holy Spirit keeps, keeps surprising us. It's not the same old story, is it? It's fresh and new. Well, we get to hear from one of my favorite people in the whole world tonight. My wife, Susan. Would you, give, would you greet her? Huh? Go Jesus. <laughs> it is so, I have to just say, it is so good to worship with you guys. It's just, to me, it's like, oh, it's so good being with people that worship together, you know. You don't get that during your work week. And then we come together Saturday night, and it's like, oh, we're all loving Jesus together. This is so good. <laughs> so fun. We get it, right? We just get it. <laughs> It's so cool. <laughs> I love you guys. I love worshiping with you. Oh, so yes, we are going to talk about Saul tonight. We're, we're up to ch- Acts chapter 9. That's chapter 9. Um, so it'll be a story um, we're all familiar with. Um, but I just, um, well, let's just pray, Jesus. I pray, Lord that just as we look at your scriptures, as we listen to your heart, God, um, Holy Spirit, I thank you that even as I'm sharing, you're sharing with each one of us. Just like Brent shared last week about listening prayer, even right now, God, open the ears of our heart to hear you. Open the eyes of our heart to see, whoa, what you have. Each one of us, how, so... Because I thank you, Jesus. You are even now interceding. Even now you're speaking to us. Even now you're moving in our lives. You are bringing transformation. And sometimes we are aware and sometimes we aren't. So, Jesus, we just give you permission. Yeah, we give you permission tonight, Jesus. Ah, just help us get out of any box we're in or expand any box we are in, Jesus, because you are always, your kingdom is always expanding and moving. And that kingdom is in here too, Jesus. In your name, Lord. Amen. So, yes, we are up to Acts 9, the story of Saul, and how he gets encountered on the road to Damascus. Yeah. So I'm going to just start by reading the first part of Acts 9. Um, and of course, you know, leading up to this, this is, this is Saul. He is a Jew. He is a very religious Jew. He's been taught since he was very young to love the law. He was taught by um, the rabbi. Um, He spent a lot of time in the temple, and he knew his stuff. So during these days, 
Saul, full of angry threats and rage, wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. So, being the legalistic guy that he was, he went to ask the high priest and requested a letter of authorization he could take to the Jewish leaders in Damascus, requesting their cooperation in finding and arresting any who were followers of the way. So he had it in for anybody who was following Jesus because in his mind, that, that could not be God. It could not possibly be God that came to earth in the form of a man calling himself son of man. This is not, this is not right. This does not fit with what I was taught. We must annihilate this. Saul wanted to capture all of the believers he found, both men and women, and dragged them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So he obtained the authorization and left for Damascus. Just outside the city, as he's walking along, a brilliant light flashing from heaven suddenly exploded all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a booming voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The men accompanying Saul were stunned and speechless, for they had heard the heavenly voice but could see no one. And Saul replied, Who are you, Lord? Isn't that interesting? Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? I think he knew it wasn't... uh, It wasn't voices in his head. He knew. He could feel the authority. He could feel this was something. There was an unction. There was a something about this voice. Who are you, Lord? And he responds, I am Jesus, the victorious, the one you are persecuting. I'm the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city where you will be told what you are to do. And um, you probably remember what happens from there. Saul is completely blind. That light is so brilliant. It has just obliterated his ability to see physically, let alone spiritually. And they lead him into the city. Um, He doesn't eat for three days. Uh, If... This is true, that that the one he's been persecuting is Jesus. That means he's been killing God's people. And he's starting to wrap his head around this. What? Wait, Wait a minute. I thought I was doing God's will in what I was doing, and now you're telling me I'm not? So I, I, can't, I can't only imagine he was in absolute shock. And he's just, obviously, something's getting in there. He didn't just, oh, well, whatever. I don't know who you are. What are you talking about? Clearly, this gripped him and grabbed him. He is stunned, unable to eat for three days. So then Ananias, the Lord comes and visits Ananias. Ananias is a believer. And, and the Lord says, Ananias, I want you to go and pray for Saul. He's like, what? Saul, are you kidding me? He's killing us. And, and, and the Lord said, no, I have purpose for Saul. I have plans for his life. I want you to go pray for him, and he'll be healed. And so Ananias went, uh, went 
prayed for him. He was healed. He ate. And he immediately starts preaching the gospel. <laughs> that crazy? Three days. He is preaching the gospel. Um, which didn't go so well, of course. <laughs> it's like, you know, Hitler going to Auschwitz and saying, no, just kidding, guys. I'm going to let you all out here and be your best friend. You know, it's kind of like that. He's like, really? So now the Jews want to kill him. And I'm sure the Christians are like, really? So, um, so um, ultimately, Saul, um, yeah, he's, I mean, they're, they're coming after him. The Jews want to kill him. So he goes back to Tarsus, and then he ends up spending something like 12 years in the desert, which is probably a good decision at this point. So we'll, we'll go into that a little bit more. So what just happened? He was blinded by such a brilliant light. And um, I know we sing a lot about, we sing, we sing tonight about his eyes of fire. So somehow, some way, he had an encounter with light so pure, so holy, so clean, um, physical, spiritual, I don't know, probably all of the above, that it absolutely radic- radically penetrated into him and affected him physically and affected him emotionally, spiritually. We read First John 1.5 that God is pure light and you will never find even a trace of darkness in him. This world, we have, there's a mixture of things. There's light and there's darkness. But to have an encounter with something so pure, so holy, so light. I know we get those kind of encounters sometimes during worship, and they just, I don't know, we cry, we, we laugh, we are speechless, we're overwhelmed. All those things start happening when we encounter such light, such truth. And he encountered that. Light is often paralleled to truth. It's truth so beyond our human way of understanding truth. And I'm sure far beyond what he could understand from the scriptures. And God is encountering him with that truth. He also encountered him with his voice. Um, And he knew immediately. And how many of you know, like last week, when you guys had that little listening prayer time, you knew it was his voice. It just, it's different than our own voice. We have our own voice inside of our head, don't we, sometimes? But when he speaks, there's a resonance that happens. There's a, a way it just starts going deeper and connecting, not just mentally, but also emotionally, Um, the power, there's a power in his voice. I'm going to read from one of my favorite scriptures, Psalm, Psalm 29, about his voice. The voice of the Lord echoes through the skies and seas. The glory God reigns as he thunders in the clouds. So powerful is his voice, so brilliant and bright. How majestic as he thunders over the great waters. His tympanic thunder topples the strongest of trees. 
His symphonic sound splinters the mighty forests. Now he moves Zion's mountains by the might of his voice, shaking the snowy peaks with his ear-splitting sound. The lightning fire flashes, striking as he speaks. God reveals himself when he makes the fault lines quake, shaking deserts, speaking his voice. God's mighty voice makes the deer to give birth. His thunderbolt voice lays the forest bare. Well, his voice is powerful. It's not always quite like that, like thundering through us. But even his quiet voice, it just starts setting up like a reverberation inside like a shaking inside, like a kind of a trickle down. Um, some years ago, I think it was, it was probably over 20 years ago now, I had an encounter where, where God's voice really did something like that to me. I was, um, there were, I was uh, a situation at work where um, my, one of my coworkers, medical assistant, had been uh, had been a Catholic, and she was actually starting to have these amazing encounters with God, which which was really exciting. And she'd come in and tell me about a dream she'd had, or a vision, or just just something that was you know she wanted to talk to me about with regard to the God. And it was just really cool and exciting to watch her grow and and draw closer to Him. And then, um, but she had a daughter, and her daughter had a boyfriend, and he was involved with drugs and gangs and whatnot. And one day, um, there was a shooting, and she was killed. And my friend was absolutely devastated, beyond devastated. In fact, I never had a chance to talk to her again after that happened, because she left work, and she really didn't want to talk anymore. And I was offended. God, she was coming closer to you and getting to know you better. How could you let this happen? I mean, I was just like, you know, I was mad. I was upset. I was just like, how could this happen? I don't understand. Um, and one day, how many of you know when you have a little encounter with God, you remember where you were, what was going on? So one day, we were at the time going to church in, in the city in San Francisco, I remember walking down the street, going to, heading towards church, and I hear God say, um, be still and know that I am God. He said it again, be still and know that I am God. Then a third time, be still and know that I am God. He changed the inflection each time. And how many of you know it wasn't even that it wasn't be still know that I am God. That spoke volumes to me. It was Susan. I've got this. I understand what's going on with her. I'm with her. You are taking full. You're taking way too much responsibility for this. You need to let this go. You need to you know pray for her and love her. But this is not yours to hold on to anymore. I mean all that and more when he was saying this to me, and it gave me the grace and the power to let it go. And it was a rebuke for sure, <laughs> but there was so much love and understanding in that rebuke. And also, honey, you 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 can't do this. This isn't helping you. This is not helping her. You've got to let this go. He's just so loving. And yeah, it was kind of a little bit like a, you know, I don't know, 
not quite ear-splitting sound, but it was like, it kind of hit my heart kind of hard, but it was good. It was a good thing, and I needed to hear that so much. So, um, oh yeah, I want to, it's interesting that um, this first description of Saul's Damascus Road experience is, is written by Luke, but there actually shows, it shows, that same story shows up two more times in Acts. And each time it's a little different because the other two times it's Paul telling his own story in his own words. So he gives a few more details. Yeah, so what I want to um, share is something that didn't, um, something that Paul talks about, a little more details about what Jesus said to him. And this is Acts 26, uh, the same story, but Paul's version. Um, wait a minute. Maybe I'm in the wrong one. 22? Okay, never mind. No, no, it's 9-5. I'm, 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 I'm going ahead of myself. 9-5. Who are you, Lord? This is actually, this, what this is is a different version of that same scripture. Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said to Saul... I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is dangerous, and it will turn out badly for you to keep kicking against the goads. So, so I have a picture of a goad there. A goad is a stick with a sharp end, kind of like a spear that you use to prod cattle or oxen with. And it has a sharp end, and it has a dull end. So it's very interesting that it says kicking against the goats. And I would propose to you that this was not the first time God had tried to get Saul's attention. How many of you know that he's always speaking to us and he would much rather still small voice, right? He would much rather loving, gentle, just hold on to us, whisper in our ear. But if it's for our benefit and we need to hear it, sometimes he pulls out the little sharper end which is kind of what Saul got here, sharper end. Saul, are you kidding me? Dude, what are you thinking? What are you doing? This is not who you are. And not only that, but look at this. It is dangerous. It's turning out badly for you. So God's coming to him. This is not even about the believers he's killing. It's about who Saul is. He's saying, Saul, you are not... You're not doing who you are. You're not, in, you're not following the calling I have called you to do. Yes, I have called you to be a mighty man of God. Yes, I have called you to transform and change the church and be a great apostle, but not this way. This is not, this is not what I had in mind at all. And goads are referred to in a few, several other places, actually, in Scripture. This is a very well-known um, reference. So, so Saul knew exactly what God was saying when he said, What are you, kicking against the goads? I'm trying to get your attention. I've been trying to prod you. To goad means to provoke, annoy, or to stimulate an action or a reaction. It's trying to get somebody's attention, trying to get those cattle to move where they're supposed to move. And God, just his way of saying, 
And he does that by little love taps. He does that by helping our hearts get still. He does that sometimes by just speaking very clearly to us. He does it in so many different ways to get our attention because we need that. Ecclesiastes 12 says, The words of the wise are like goats. Words of wisdom. They sometimes they're just, they feel so good, and sometimes they're like a little ouch, but I needed that ouch. I needed that correction. Of course, so many of us, um, when we received correction from our parents or our other authorities, it didn't feel good because it wasn't done well. It wasn't done with love. It, doesn't, wasn't, it wasn't done in a way that said, I love you and I adore you, and I want to help you find the best direction for your life. We need our Father's loving correction because he knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knew so much more than what Saul knew, and Saul thought he knew everything. He thought he had all the answers. Proverbs 3.12 says this, For the Father's discipline comes only from his passionate love and pleasure for you. Even when it seems like his correction is harsh, it's still better than any father on earth gives to his child. Yeah, he just wants the best for us. And we so often, we just, we just don't know. We can't see the big picture. It's like we have to trust that he, he sees things about us, he sees things about our destiny that we can't yet. And to trust that he's got it. And he's already um, working on our behalf. So Saul had this amazing experience um, he got it. He got it. He got it right here. He got, Jesus, you are Lord. Oh, all those things you said about yourself, they are true. But, but I wonder if he really got, if he really got that it was all about love quite yet. I think that's pretty, pretty not, not very likely. He wanted to go out and tell the world, you know, I've been wrong. I'm sure he repented. I've been wrong. I've been trying to persecute Jesus and his followers. I've been wrong. That wasn't true. But he didn't yet get that it was all about heart. It was all about love. Because he was such a legalist, right? He's this legalist. He, he went and made sure he had the right authority. So I've got the right authority. I'm going to go kill everybody. You know, kill all those Christians I don't like. Very legalistic because that's what he knew from the law. You do things right. You're good with God. You do things wrong. You're in big trouble with God. But that's just what he knew. That's how he'd been raised. So he needed some time to let it get from here to here, like we all do. Um, and here's another very interesting point I had never known before. Um, names and the meanings of names are very important in the scriptures. What I had never known before was Saul means sought after. Paul means little. So Saul meaning sought after implies he was the man, right? I mean, he is the guy that they, when they're stoning Stephen, all their, what the cloaks got laid at his feet. So he must have been a very well-respected, honored person 
when he was still a Jewish person, he, or when he was still, you know, under the law, he was the one here they're coming to and submitting to, so he was very well respected, um, very well honored, apparently. But interesting that his name is changed to Paul Little. And it's so reflected in the scriptures of all those, the epistles that we read um, again and again and again. He was the man of the law who becomes the man of grace. The man who says, um, your grace is sufficient for me, Lord. Your power is made perfect when I'm weak, in my weak, in weakness. That's when you are fully uh, revealed. He became very comfortable in being utterly dependent on God. He sure wasn't before. It was all about the law. I got the law. I can do whatever the law says. His relationship was with the law, and that transformation had to be, had to be a relationship with Jesus. And also in one of those other um, scriptures, you know, I don't know if it's Acts 22 or 26, Jesus also tells tells um, Saul during his encounter that I'm going to keep on revealing myself to you. So I wonder, I suspect that happened during those years in the desert. There was more and more and more revelation that needed to happen. He lost his agenda. His agenda became, it's all about you, Jesus. It's you and me, us together. That's the only agenda that matters. He went from becoming from being an important Jew who no doubt got his sense of worth and value from the law, from the things he knew, um, to I am one with Christ. Me in Christ, Christ in me. That's where I am centered and that's where I get my worth from. And he went from I will do everything right to... I will trust the one who's done it all right for me. He went from my performance makes me okay with God to Jesus makes me okay with God. Yeah, not anything we can do. Whoa. Not anything we can do in our own strength. This is a tough one, you guys. I struggle with it too. I don't even sometimes know when I'm struggling with that. Jesus makes us okay on our worst day and our worst mistake. I mean, can you imagine being Saul and doing everything you thought was right to do? Killing people. You are helping to kill people. And one day you get a revelation you've been completely wrong. How devastating would that be? Oh, my gosh. But yet he got it. I think it's amazing. He got it. He got it just like that. Yeah, he's a quick study, really. So 12 years in the wilderness isn't so bad because he had a lot of other things to resolve. So Jesus, um, really what Paul was doing was dying to self, that that thing we don't like to talk about too much. Or we talk about it in theory. (laughs) But then when we're going through it, it's like, ouch, 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 dying. This is, this is what it looks like to die to self. It's what he was doing. He really was. He could no longer take any pride in all the things he took pride in. In fact, he says um, in Acts 22, I am a Jewish man born in Tarsus, Turkey. I was properly trained 
in the Mosaic Law by Rabbi Gamaliel, I have been extremely passionate, zealous in my desire to follow God. So zealous I was killing Christians because I was convinced that's what God wanted. So duty to God, duty to the law was paramount and central. And he really had to get to the place of, no, it's God's love for me is central. It's everything. Um, Christ in us is our sense of our identity. I love each of you, it says in John 15, 9. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. The same love that the Father loves me is the love Jesus loves with us with. That we continually let him nourish, awaken, care for, tenderize our hearts. That's what gives us life, isn't it? Not the things we do or the things we know. Not the way the world would tell us we get our worth, our credentials, our whatever. It's as simple as that and as profound as that. And in Galatians 2.20, it goes on. Um, Paul talks a little more about what his transformation My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. He knew what his old identity was. No longer lives, it's dead. (laughs) For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. I'm like, dispenses his life into mine. I just get this picture of a river that Jesus lay there dying, his blood being shed, was pouring all of his life into us. Everything that he was, he pours into us. That's how much he loves us. He's like, I, everything, everything, everything laid down. I love you so much. So much. It also says in um, Acts 26, this, I don't think I'd ever really seen this scripture before. Um, Where the Lord says to Paul, get up and stand to your feet, for I have appeared to you to reveal your destiny and to commission you as my assistant. So, Paul's been out there killing, I mean, screwing up as big as you could probably screw up, right? Doing everything wrong, assuming he was doing God's will, but not really checking in with God's heart. And God's like, dude, you are my choice. You're my one. You're the one I want. I need you to help raise up this fledgling church. 
I need you to help nurture and teach because you've got a gift and calling on your life. Yeah, the passion or zealousness is a little misplaced right now, but you're the one. You're the one I want. I need you, Paul, or Saul at the time. Saul, you've forgotten. How many times have we heard Pastor Brent say that? You have forgotten who you are. Saul, you so are not doing what you are called to do in me. You're everything I want, but let's come on into my heart and do it my way. Because he's, he's, it's, it's amazing. This is a, basically a commissioning. So I did want to point that out. So this is, in the, I guess, within those three days, he's getting commissioned. He was a murderer two days, you know, a day ago. <laughs> now he's being commissioned to help raise up the baby church. That, that's kind of crazy. But then, and this is an encouragement to any of you who feel like God's called you to something or commissioned you to something, and you expect it to happen the next day. Well, it took 12 years. <laughs> it took 12 years for Paul. And from what I've heard from some people, that can sometimes be actually pretty fast. Because how many of you know it'd be easy if we just did it legalistically or we just did it following the rules or we just did what we, we thought we were supposed to do? But to get healed that it's coming from the heart. That's a work. That's getting that, letting God knead his love into our heart deeper and deeper and deeper. And apparently his same weaknesses were the things God needed to help raise up that church. So every place where Paul was weak and vulnerable was exactly the place God's grace was going to engraft into Now, honestly, I struggle with this myself. I know it's true. I know it's true. I know it's true. But I I struggle with understanding grace, right? That means he gives us what we we just don't deserve. But he's like, I'll make up the difference for you. You can't. You can't in a million years do it all right, make it all happen. Let me complete you because you can't complete yourself. We try. I try to complete myself, do it all myself all the time, but we can't. And he doesn't want us to. He's like, come on, I want so much. I'm so jealous to do this thing with you, us together. It gives him so much joy. Yeah, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Help us, God. Help us keep getting this and keep getting this and keep getting this and keep getting this. So Paul, at the end of those, once Saul has lost his need to be sought over or sought after, and Saul has become Paul little, um, he's really getting it how dependent he can be on Jesus and how faithful Jesus is. So this is Second um, Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. And we have such trust through Jesus Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I think I think Paul had gotten very, very comfortable with being utterly dependent on God. Yeah, that's just amazing.
amazing. So I have one more, one last slide. Um, familiar, another familiar scripture from John eight thirty two. Paul was set free by that truth, that light that started resonating inside of his heart. And, you know, was willing to submit to God to receive it. And I know how many times have I read this scripture, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I decided to look in my um, Strong's Concordance about that. You shall know. Well, it's not know in your head No. It is no in your heart. See, Saul knew the truth. He knew the law. He wasn't free. It was the truth needs to knead together with the spirit into our heart. That sets us free, doesn't it? That's where the freedom starts moving because that's where life starts flowing in the the river of life from heaven starts flowing through us because it's not just words on a page, but it's, it's living and breathing and moving in him. It's, it's words that transcend, that become uh, like a multidimensional reality for us, not just black and white on a page. It's him living his life inside of us. I want to read a little excerpt from Graham Cook about this this process um, Saul experience, which is very akin to, I think, the process many of us go through, where we get a revelation, and it's really cool, and we're really excited, but then it doesn't seem to quite manifest fully. I mean, I don't know about you. Have you, any of you ever had that? Like, you get a prophetic word, and you're like, Yes! I'm going to have a ministry next week. Yes, I'm going to be traveling the world in six months. And then it's like, what happened? What happened? So I think this is a good, um, a good way of understanding that process. Um, whenever we move into a new spiritual dimension of our calling and our ministry, we must take the time to upgrade our relationship with God which is, I think, literally what happened with Saul. He needed to get current with Jesus. He needed to get to know him as a friend. You don't get to do that in three days, even if you have a great revelation. He really needed to get to know who he was. Our calling comes at different levels at different times. It is a progressive journey of discovery. When God takes us into the next phase of our calling, our relationship with him must also change. Throughout our lives, we will enter into many different phases and experiences. It might be a marriage or the birth of a child, a significant work promotion, a new responsibility, a new ministry, or any other type of change. In seasons like that, we must take the time to upgrade our peace and rest in the Lord. If we enter a new situation without fully immersing ourselves in the stillness of God, oh, We will live on our adrenaline and not out of our spirit. This power boost may seem sufficient at the moment, but for every adrenaline high, there is also an adrenaline low. We cannot sustain the needed adrenaline rush over the long term. 
Eventually, our energy will wither away, and the new season will overwhelm us. We must learn to live in a place of rest in the Spirit. And he talks a little bit more, too, about um, a common theme Graham Cook talks about, which is so good, that we also need an upgrade in our revelation of who God is. Right? So, um, really appreciate what Brent did last week with a listening prayer. And I was wondering, since we have a little more time, whether we could just spend a little bit of time doing that right now. Let God speak to us a little bit more. I know he's already been speaking to some of you. So I'm going to just encourage you all to close your eyes if you're comfortable. You can move to another place if you want to. Yeah, Jesus, I just thank you that you're right here with us, surrounding us. We are in you, Lord, right now. You are in us right now. There is no separation. You adore us. Thank you, Lord. Would you move anything away that would even try and distract right now, God? And I ask, Lord, if you would show each one of us what new, fresh understanding do you have for who you are for us? And why is it, Jesus, you want me to have new revelation about that? What do you want me to understand about myself in this place, Jesus? Lord, 
how is your grace sufficient for me here? Lord, I ask you make that grace so tangible for each one of us. So I'm just going to pray over y'all in closing. and um, If there's a few people that could be on the prayer team and come forward when, we're, when you're ready, and there might be a, a few people that could pray if you need, would like to receive some further prayer. But Jesus, I just thank you how you're always talking to us and you're always revealing new things about your goodness to us and about how much you delight in us and love us and really understand us (laughs) and aren't one bit worried about our struggles and our weaknesses, like you know you've got an answer for all of it and you know you've got the missing piece to put in there at just the right time, right when we're ready. So Jesus, I pray for each one of us that the dialogue, that the connection would just continue to increase and increase and increase and get freer and freer and freer. And we invite you, Jesus, to start showing up in new ways, in fresh ways, God, Um, at work, driving, wherever, (laughs) that we just, our spirits would just be more awakened than ever before, God, to let you in to be full, fully participate in our lives, God. We know you already do, but we want to be more awakened to that, God. We need you, Jesus. You are our answer. You are our all in all for everything, God. We are desperately needy for you. Thank you that you are so completely invested, dedicated enthralled even with our lives because we're yours. We are yours. We are yours. So Jesus, we just we just thank you and bless you and so grateful for all that you are. Amen.